Hi, everyone. Just a note. This podcast was recorded during the time that we were all sheltering in place due to the pandemic and prior to current world events. Welcome to The Awardist, the podcast from Entertainment Weekly that takes you inside this year's Emmy race with interviews, analysis, and more. I'm Sarah Rodman, Executive Editor at Entertainment Weekly. And I'm Kristen Baldwin, TV critic at Entertainment Weekly. And we are here to talk more about Emmy Awards and people that we would like to see nominated. So Kristen, comedy is a category that's very close to my heart, and I'm assuming close to yours as well. I feel like we could all use some laughs right now. Exactly. And I do think, uh, especially, you know, when people talk about the golden age of TV and peak TV, often they're talking about prestige dramas. But man, is there a lot of good comedy and has there been for the last four or five years? So and I feel like prestige comedy is actually a thing. It's just because it's comedy. We don't think of it in that same sort of like gold label, breaking bad Sopranos kind of way. (laughs) But I would I would venture to say that comedy is harder than drama. At least when I talk to comedians and comic actors, they all say comedy is so much harder. Well, and you think of how many comedies get launched every year and how many stick around, which is a small percentage. Like it is, it's really hard to do something new like Fleabag that took the world by storm because nobody had ever seen anything like it. Exactly. And we have finally, to a degree, because of the proliferation of platforms, moved away from like fat guy hot wife. So today we're going to be talking about um, performances in the comedy category, outstanding actor and actress in a comedy. And later on, we'll be having a chat with two of my favorite actor and actresses, Manny Jacinto and Darcy Carden from The Good Place. And we talk quite a bit about comedy with them and how hard it is. (laughs) Uh, But before we get into things, we are going to throw it to our podcast producer and quiz master Noah Aberhart to play a little trivia. How are you, Noah? I'm doing well. Let's get right into it. Who has been nominated the most times for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series without winning the award once? That's hard. What? Without, because I, I was still ready to be like, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would have to be somebody that was on a very long-running show and gotten nominated over and over. Was it maybe Shelley Long or Kirstie Alley? Would they be lead or would they be? They would definitely be lead. All right. Well, I'm going to make my guess, which I think is wrong, but I'm just, I'm just that it was my gut told me to say this. So if I'm wrong, blame my gut, Gene Stapleton. And you know what I'm going to say? And I'm probably totally wrong, but it was also my first instinct, Deborah Messing. Interesting. The answer is Jane Kaczmarek. Wow! Of course! Malcolm in the middle! Gosh, she was so good as Lois. I was just recently re-watching that, which it's on Hulu, Malcolm in the Middle. It's so freaking funny. And Brian Cranston, if you only know him from Breaking Bad, go back and do yourself a favor and watch him in Malcolm in the Middle. He's hilarious. He's like one of the best TV sitcom dads as Hal. All right, Noah, was there another question? Yes, I have one more question for you. How many times has National Treasure Ted Danson been nominated for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series I should know this because I just talked to him. I know. I was going to say I was I was going to forfeit. Is this without winning or winning or 
He has won this award twice. Do you know how many times he's been nominated, though? I'm going to say 10. I'm going to say, I'm just going to reverse prices right it and say 11. The answer is 13 times. Oh, 13. See, I was close. I was see, closer without right, going over. I'm forgetting about the good place nominations. I was only going off. Cheers. Cheers. No <laughs> nomination for Becker, right? I do not believe so. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Noah. We, we kind of embarrassed ourselves, but not quite as badly as we have in the past. So I feel okay. I feel like you say that every week, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we will move on to... The comedy acting categories from last year. So Phoebe Waller-Bridge was our winner, and her competition was Christina Applegate from Dead to Me, Rachel Brosnahan, the Mrs. Maisel of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Julia Louis-Dreyfus for Veep, Natasha Lyonne for Russian Doll, and Catherine O'Hara for her exalted turn as Moira Rose on <laughs> Schitt's Creek. So interesting. This was, everybody thought Julia Louis-Dreyfus was yes. going to win this to cap off her epic run as Selena Meyer on V, but Phoebe Waller-Bridge was not to be denied. Yeah, that kind of bummed me out. I mean, I understand that Veep couldn't win in terms of the overall series category, but I was really bummed that they didn't send Julia Louis-Dreyfus off with one last Emmy because her performance in that final season, again, was amazing. And the woman beat cancer. So, like, what did she have to do to get that last Emmy? But it was Phoebe Waller-Bridge's year, and, you know, you know, there's so much repeating in this particular award show. There is a level on which it was kind of refreshing, but it was a very competitive category. And I think that that will also be true this year. And I think that there will be some repeats. I wonder, do you think that Rachel Brosnahan is going to get nominated again? I do, because I think it's a just a knee jerk response. It's been nominated. The show's been nominated every season. She's been nominated. Alex Borstein's been nominated. So I think she's a sure thing in terms of front runners. I think Catherine O'Hara will repeat, especially since it's the final season, yeah. um, which I think could uh, give that show and those performers some momentum. And my other like front runner, front runner, I think is Christina Applegate in Dead to Me. She was nominated again. I have problems with the show, but her performance is is incredible. And I think it's the performance of her career, season one and season two. So I think she'll get a nomination. You know, I think that may be her prize. But um, do you have any other front runners that you're thinking of? No, I think that's like the main group. And then it's a real toss up for whoever the the next person will be. And I think there's some people that we would like to see nominated. I know that I would love to see Issa Rae nominated I would love to see Kristen Bell nominated for mm-hmm. her last year on The Good Place just because I have such affection for that show. And I mean, good Lord, Pamela Adlon. Here's another yes. one. That's, what does she got to do? <laughs> I know. And she's been nominated twice in the past. But this season, there's some open slots in the category because, you know, Veep's not there. Russian Doll's not there. So I'm hoping she can sneak in again this past season of Better Things. Once again, Sublime, watch it if you haven't. I'm not going to try to explain it to you, but it's a great show and you will thank me later. Agreed. And I know uh, you've mentioned before, and I think she could be in the mix somewhere, is um, Aquafina. People really like her. Yes, people love her. And here's the thing about this show. I'm not going to argue against a nomination for Aquafina. I love this show. And I think that you should watch Aquafina is Nora from Queens on Comedy Central. But the show is, I mean, if you want to talk about prestige TV, it's like, 
it's more of a, a moose moose, you know, it's not a better things, but it is really enjoyable. But I, I have trouble picturing her getting nominated for that, but she's very funny in it. Yeah. I have people that I would love to see nominated, a couple on my wish list who I think are real long shots, but you never know. And one is Maitreyi Ramakrishnan from Never Have I Ever. Yes. And she and I, I, I apologize if I butchered the pronunciation of her name, but she is a young lady who Mindy Kaling cast uh, via Instagram. She put out a casting call for, you know, Indian American actresses of different ages for her uh, show, Never Have I Ever. And she plays the lead character and she's really funny. Like she's has great comic timing. She's got a lot of confidence this is her first big role. If her, not her first role period, she's going to be a big star. It's a really, really impressive performance. The only person I would have on my wish list picking up from an earlier conversation is Amanda Peet on uh, Brockmire. I also oh, feel like Amanda yes. Peet is a person who is undervalued in the range of things that she can do. And as much as she has, you know, done dramatic work. She's so funny just as a general rule. And she's great on that show. So, yeah. And I have one other on my wish list, and I'm not sure. I think she'd be lead, but it's hard to say. Um, it's Anna Fabresia from Los Spookies. She's mm-hmm. also the co-creator of that show. And by the way, if you have any form of HBO, go and find Los Spookies. You will love it. Um, she plays Tati, who is sort of a member of the Los Spookies horror team and She's very philosophical. She's also extremely deep into the gig economy. At one point, she's working as a fan, like she's literally spinning someone's fan. At another point, she's a human Fitbit. It's just absurd, but her she's got such an interesting and hilarious delivery. It's hard to explain, but um, I just love her. And she's a co-creator of the show, so go check it out. And what other wishlist person, just because I really enjoyed the show and found it really charming, but I'm, it's one of those shows where it's, would be in this category because it's a half hour long, which is high fidelity. Oh, yeah. Although it's not sort of strictly a comedy in the classic sense, but it's also not cringy like Nurse Jackie or something like right, that. Right. It's really actually a drama, but we're calling it a comedy because it's a half hour long. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. But it was great and it was really charming. And she's Zoe Kravitz is terrific in it. So I would throw her on my wish list as well. There's a lot of great ladies out there doing good work. Go, ladies, go. Exactly. All right. And then we turn our attention to the gentleman. So for last year's race, we had Bill Hader as the winner for Barry Brickman slash Barry Block on Barry on HBO, which is another one of my favorite shows of the last few years. Anthony Anderson for Blackish, Don Cheadle for Black Monday, Ted Danson, our favorite from The Good Place, Michael Douglas for The Kaminsky Method, and Eugene Levy from Schitt's Creek. So that is a really nice field of folks. Yeah. People that had been nominated previously, Ted and Anthony and Don. Michael Douglas came up for The Kaminsky Method. We love a classic Hollywood star, but I was definitely rooting for Bill Hader as much as I love Ted. Sorry, Ted. Yeah, I agree. Bill Hader's so good, so funny, and so like moving in a lot of ways in, in Barry. That's a real, you know, complex performance. But that was for season two that he won last year. And so they're not uh, eligible this season. So that leaves some openings for the uh, front runners um, in this year's potential nominees. I mean, I think we've got Ted Danson for sure. Good place. And with it being the final season, that adds an extra layer of uh, sort of momentum. Same for Eugene Levy for Schitt's Creek. When it's a final season, the voters can get sentimental. So they've got two 
big heavy hitters in that category already going into their final seasons. I think you can't ever count out Michael Douglas. I think he's just going to get a nomination for yes. every year as long as the show is on. And even though not that many people are really talking about Curb Your Enthusiasm this year, Larry David has been nominated for that uh, show six times. So I think he could be nominated. I think it's going to be hard to keep him out of this category uh, this year. So those would be the ones that I think are the real front runners. Do you have any that you'd add? Yeah. The only reason I would add Anthony Anderson is I believe mm-hmm. he's been nominated for every year that Blackish has been on. Yeah. Although same thing. I'm not sure that the buzz around that show was quite as big as it's been previously. Mm-hmm. And I would absolutely recommend it spin off Mixedish, which I think is really, really funny. And it would be nice actually to see somebody from that show in this category. But I feel like Anthony has become a rubber stamp. Right, right. And Don Cheadle is very good on that show. And it's one of the shows on Showtime that doesn't get a lot of conversation around it. You mean all the shows on Showtime? (laughs) (laughs) That also. Uh, But it's actually pretty funny. Yeah. And it's like a period piece. And the costumes are really sort of hilarious. But there is that sense of like, Don Cheadle is a movie star and he's making a TV show. And therefore, not that he is not good. I think whenever that happens, when it's like the movie star is doing television, therefore we're giving them a nomination. Almost without fail, that person is great in whatever the thing they're in. Even if the thing they're in isn't perfect, like they're still a standout. And yeah, you know, I think you're right. I think he could be for sure another front runner because like the voters love him. As well they should. You know, I don't see it, but people love Domhnall Gleeson from Run. And people really enjoyed that show. That's one I haven't seen yet. Although there was some discussion towards the end that maybe it did not finish as strongly as it began. But he's such a lovable actor. Yes. So I think he could be in the mix. And then saying this as somebody who watched every episode of Space Force and did not really enjoy it at all, I do think Steve Carell has a shot in this category simply because he's Steve Carell. Even though he's not in any way the best part of that show, I would say that goes to John Malkovich. I think there could be, you know, a rubber stamp quality uh, to him, you know, uh, to use your phrase, Sarah, where people are just like, oh, well, it's Steve Carell. We should just nominate him. It'll be interesting because he could potentially also get nominated in the drama category for The Morning Show, where I actually think he does deserve it. Absolutely. I think that's the performance he should be nominated for. I think in Space Force, he's not funny, but it's also because the show's not really funny. Right. I don't think it's his fault. No, no. It's really interesting, actually, what they're trying to do. Like, it's ambitious in a way that I actually appreciate. So do you have anybody that would be wish list material for this category? Not for this category, but I want to just veer into supporting um, for a second and stump for Andre Brower yet again as Raymond Holt on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Honestly, so freaking funny in that show. He, I believe, was nominated once and never again. And it's just like he consistently is one of the funniest things on that show, and the, this is one of my favorite shows, but anyway, uh, so Andre Brower, and also in the uh, supporting category, I would say, as I mentioned, John Malkovich, he plays Dr. Mallory in Space Force, and he's very, very funny. Do you have any wish list, folks, Sarah? I would actually give a shout out to the people that we are talking to today, Manny Jacinto and Darcy Carden oh, for yes. The Good Place. Although that show is an ensemble comedy, each one of them, particularly in this last season, had really great moments of evolutionary shine. Like their characters really went on journeys on yeah. this show. All of the characters did. 
Ted and Darcy's characters sort of made the longest stretch from point A to point B, and that Manny's character, Jason Mendoza, probably was the third biggest stretch. Like, and he was just so great. And I love the show so much. And so we might as well get into our interviews with both of them. So Darcy and I uh, talked about a lot of things, but one of the things that everyone that we talked to at The Good Place talked about was how much they loved their cast members and a lot about sort of the tears that flowed at the end of the finale. this morning. I'm good, Sarah. How are you? I am pretty good. We are so grateful for you to be with us. I love the show. It was my favorite show of the last four years. I am mm. sad that it is over, but I am also glad, and I believe you guys are glad as well, that you ended when you wanted to end and you told the story you wanted to tell, correct? Very correct. And I, I feel the same way. Like I didn't want it to end it was a funny thing to live with for a while because Mike sure told us a year before the finale came out that it was ending. It's meaning, so we knew that, obviously we knew the whole time we were filming season four that it was ending, but we knew just for a very, very long time that that it was ending. And so much of what felt okay about it all ending was the finale. Like what was the, the actual finale felt so beautiful and, and you know, it, it, to us, the cast and the writers, it felt like the right ending, but obviously we couldn't tell anybody that. <laughs> so we couldn't right. tell the fans that we couldn't tell our friends that it had, you know, when people would say like, why are you ending? All we could really say was like, you'll see, I guess, but we just had to sort of have faith. I mean, but truly this show has been like that since the beginning for me, you know, ever since <laughs> I found out what the first season twist was going to be, it was this thing of just like having faith in the show, knowing that we were putting out something that not to say ultimately would be worth it. Cause I think every episode is great, but you know, it's like this thing where you want to tell everybody, I promise, I promise just wait, just wait. <laughs> the payoff will be worth it. Exactly. But it's really funny because it's the opposite of what the first season was for you not knowing. Right. Right. So the last season you knew everything, well, not maybe not everything possibly, but you knew that it was ending long before the viewers did, but you were with the viewers in that first season before the big first twist. So it's like you had this symmetrical experience. Yes. Of like knowing and not knowing and was one better than the other. You know, it's funny, like we knew that there was a twist and we really wanted to know that twist. This is season one. It's Will, Manny, Jamila, and I, we really, really, really wanted to know the twist. And we were sort of like, you know, bribing the writers and stuff. And then I think it was Will and I that had a conversation and we were like, you know what, let's just let this happen. <laughs> let's just totally give over to Mike Sure. And ultimately I'm so glad we didn't know. It would have been a harder acting job, truly. I think that Ted had such a hard job that first season to have to play too many things, so many things. And yet he was still perfect because he is Ted Danson. <laughs> he is perfect. And he really like, he puts the work in, you know? Oh God, I just love that man. It's, it's, he's so natural and his instincts are the best of anyone I've ever worked with, but he also like does his homework and he puts the work in and, and he, he can't, He's like incapable of producing false, if that makes sense. He like, if something doesn't feel right, he really, he, you know, he has to figure it out and talk to the writers and talk to Mike and talk to the other actors until it feels right. And after 
working with him for four years, going back to that first season, I'm sure that was a really hard thing for him to try to play this duality and not be able to talk to very many people about it. And then you all uh, were so fortunate. You were so fortunate to have this great special relationship with him as two of the members of the, the original gang of the afterlife and like going through and becoming close and caring about each other in ways that you wouldn't have assumed your characters were be, would be able to as yeah. a virtual assistant and as a demon. So it's interesting. You guys, in a way, had the most, well, Team Cockroach obviously right. had evolution as humans. You guys had evolution as non-humans, which I'm wondering if you were even expecting that possibility given the kind of character you were playing. No, I mean, I didn't know where Janet was going to go early on in, in season one. I mean, I would get asked sort of like, where do you think Janet's going to go? And I had this little hope, this little like secret hope that maybe she would sort of become more human. And in my brain, I, I was calling it like Pinocchio. I was saying like, I hope she Pinocchios a little bit <laughs> and becomes a real boy. And, um, or in her case, not a girl becomes exactly, a real girl. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that humanity just sort of like dripped in a little bit more every, every episode, every season. And it was so fun and felt so natural and, I've said it a million times, but I'm so obsessed with those writers. They did such a beautiful, hilarious, nuanced job of, with these characters. It really, I, I can't, you know, I, what, thank them enough? I don't, I don't ever, I don't know if, I don't know how to thank the writers. I mean, they just did such a good job. They, they gave us such a gift. But what happens so often on television, especially broadcast network television is that the writers tend to start writing towards the actor's strengths, right? So were there points at which in those first couple of seasons where they picked up on things that you naturally did that you felt like they incorporated them into Janet, even though she wasn't a real girl? You know, I, I spent a lot of time in the writer's room or as much as I was sort of like allowed to. And I, I basically just like begged them to, <laughs> to like, However I could put it, I was like, I'll do anything. I'll do everything. Like, let me fight. Let me cry. Let me do, you know, like I'm, I just, I'm yours. Do whatever you want. I'm down for anything. And this is how you end up playing all of the characters. (laughs) In what is like the great acting tour de forces of the peak TV era. No, I'm totally serious. Everybody who loves this show, that episode is such a high watermark, not just for the show, but for you personally. And I can't imagine how terrifying it must have been when they came to you and said, (laughs) okay, you're going to be in a completely white void and you're going to have to play every character. Right. Right. (laughs) That makes sense. Right. Yeah. It was, um, equal parts, terror and excitement. I was so excited, but I also knew that so much of the success of this episode would, would sort of rest on me working hard and, and making sure I nailed it. That's a weird amount of pressure, you know, (laughs) was anybody in particular, like overly invested in giving you pointers about portraying (laughs) them? You know, what's funny is they were like, we will be on set as much as you want or as little as you want. Kristen sort of put it best. Like we're on call. She was like, call us, uh, text us, have us come to set. Like we are yours. And what I, what I wanted from them was nothing. I wanted them to stay home and not come to set. And, you know, we even had a rehearsal, um, sort of early on. I think it was the day that we did the table read for this episode, which we don't usually do a rehearsal like this, but right after the table read, we went into onto one of the sets and we did a a walkthrough with everybody in their regular character. And then me sort of popping in for each character. So 
I would, you know, I, I, it's hard to even remember that far back, but it, it would be the whole cast minus Will and I would be playing Cheaty or something like that. We just did a, a few different scenes like that. And that was probably truly like the worst of it. You know, having my sweet little Will sitting next to me while I pretend to be him, you know, and he's giving me nothing but uh, support and love, but it's still just like, you know, you kind of want to like, I don't know. <laughs> just it like, sounds like torture. It's it like sounds you want like to torture disappear. To me. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and to try to do like a British accent in front of Jamila, it just was like, I was like, get me the hell out of here. But, you know, as we got closer to it, they all sort of, um, this always struck me as like the sweetest thing. Everybody sort of on their own, gave me like a little bit of advice or a little bit of help or something that I didn't ask for. They just sort of, here's what helps me get into character. Will did this thing where he typed, I didn't know that he did this, but he retypes all of Chidi's lines into a a sort of like the way plays are written as opposed to the way like screenplays are written. He he just types them up in a different way. So Chidi. Yes. So Chidi. So Will, (laughs) one and the same. And so he typed up all of Chidi's lines and he emailed them to me and was like, if this is helpful, great. If not, throw it away. And Manny sent me this um, video. He said, this video sort of inspired Jason. And I haven't shown this to anyone in the world. If this helps you, great. If not, throw it away. And, And it totally helped me. It just was like that type of thing. One of the things that super impressed me about the show as someone who is an enormous Veronica Mars fan and an enormous Cheers, Damages, Fargo, everything about Ted Danson and the world fan is that they easily could have come in and it is it is clearly an ensemble show, but they could have come in in a way that made it clearer that they were the stars. Yeah. And they did not do that. And you guys have talked about how it was not you were not excluded, that it was a group effort and they were on board with that from the beginning. And I'm wondering how important that was, the fact that it was like that behind the scenes into the warmth that we felt translated on the show itself. I don't I don't think it's the same show if that doesn't happen. The chemistry that this cast has is part of what makes it special. I, I, I feel like you can see it and feel it on the screen and it was just from day one, it was like Kristen and Ted. It's almost like they had, I should ask them this. It's almost like they had a conversation with each other. Like, here's how we're going to do this. We are not going to be number one and two on the call sheet. It's all going to be, you know, the six of us or the guest stars or whoever. Everybody's, they just made it feel so comfortable. I did not have a bad day on set. I didn't have a morning where I would wake up and be like, oh God, I got to go to work. It was like, it is the writers, it's Mike, it's the producers, it's the entire crew. It was just like, there were no bad apples. It was so, so, so special. Which is remarkable. I asked Manny who uh, was the most often to break. So I'm curious what your answer to that question is. It might be Ted. (laughs) It's definitely not Kristen, right? Because she just strikes me as somebody who's uber professional. Totally. Yeah. Kristen doesn't break. Unless other people are breaking and then it's so fun to watch her break. My goal was always to make Will break and his goal was always to make me break. So we sort of, Will and I sort of speak the same like weirdo language and we, I don't know what it is. We don't, it's not like, it's not even that, it's not even words. It's usually like facial expressions or like noises (laughs) that can really just kill the other person. So if we got into the right mood or I guess like the wrong mood, we would sort of the point of the scene would be to try to get each other to break, but not in a way where it would like stop the scene. <laughs> the, our you version would of, just know yes, telepathically our, that they were dying inside. Exactly. Our version of making each other break was 
making it so I wish I could like show you this, but I know this is a podcast. It was making it so that the other person had to like, look at the ground. They couldn't like look at your face. If there, if, if his eyes were pointed towards the ground, I knew that I was, I was making him laugh. Right. You were winning. Exactly. (laughs) There are many, there are many scenes where, uh, if Will and I are in it together, you can, if it, if it's like sort of on the back of my head and it's on Will's face, you can sort of see me looking the other way so that I don't break. Anyway. All right. So this is a new rewatch we all have to do, you guys out there. We have to go back and look at the times that either one of them yep. was looking down and now yep. we'll know why. There we it's go. A little secret inside scoop. But I want to ask about um, the finale. How many times have you watched it? You know what? I've only watched it once. You know, we had like a viewing party for uh, the cast and Mike was there and some of the producers and it was really special and lovely. And we all, you know, sobbed and I was thinking, Oh, maybe I'll do a full rewatch of from season one. Uh, I don't know that, which I want to do. It seems like a big undertaking just for me personally. Not that it's like a lot of time, just like it might be a I love this show. I, I, it's just, um, it, it feels very freshly heartbreaking for me, you know? Wait, I, I'm just going to check a text really quick from Ted from the other day, but let me just see if it's too sad or whatever to, um, sadder the better bring it. I know I'm just going to read this. I, I hope this isn't, you know, breaking his confidence, but he said, Mary and I just watched the final episode of the good place. She for the first time, and we couldn't stop crying. It's perfect. And we miss you all so much. Please watch it again and be reminded of how well we loved each other. Oh, I love him so much. Oh my God. Now I'm crying. I know. He's so good. Oh, he's so good. I adore he that is man. He's so good. Okay. But he doesn't <laughs> suffer fools either. Like he's not, he's, he yes. doesn't blow smoke up people's ass. He's very genuine and real and wonderful. And, um, God, I just fucking love that dude. Yeah. Yeah. You and me both and all yeah. of America. I have been rewatching Cheers and so my, have I. we have both been watching yes. Cheers. So well, I, how far along are you? we, meaning my husband, Jason and I, this is our structure is making dinner, sitting down for dinner and watching one episode of Cheers a night. We're into season two. Oh, okay. So we're actually at about the same place. That's so funny. That is so funny. (laughs) And I watched Cheers when I was in high school. I mean, that was a contemporary show for me and I loved it then, but I hadn't watched it in a long time. And God, he was so hot. Oh, like I just so forgot hot. Mayday Malone. I Damn. Know, man. I know. I know what a, he is so like unique too. I'm like, he's hot in a certain kind of way where I'm like, I've never seen this before. Having just gotten to like work for four years with the man himself. It is so unique and so special to watch it. I'm like watching him do things that I recognize him doing like before my very eyes, if that makes sense. Like he'll do something and I'm like, I've seen that. Like, I know what he's, I, I understand it's, it's, I can't, it's hard to even explain. Oh God. I just, I, I really, I, I I don't, I wish I had better words. I, I can't say enough good things about him. He is. But that's how, you know, somebody is like the real ineffable thing when you can't properly articulate how marvelous they are yeah. in the breath of how marvelous they are. We'd like to welcome you to the Ted Danson podcast. <laughs> I would, I would be. We just talk about I Ted would. Danson. I would host it. I would listen to it. I would. All right. This is our next move. Great. This is our next quarantine move. And then so because I have kept you so, for so long, finally, is this how you pictured in the finale? Like when you contemplated death or the afterlife, yeah. which you must have over the course of doing this show, 
the way that Mike wrote it at the end, that we all sort of return to the ether as these little golden bits of goodness to help people around the world. What did you think of that? I mean, it's, it's, it was perfect. Like to when he told me what it was going to be, I felt like, I hope this is how it is. I hope this is what it is. You know, I, I remember, um, hearing it. I went into the writer's room before we started filming season four and Mike took me through the whole season. And, um, and then I met my husband afterwards for dinner or whatever. And I told him about the season and we both, we both cried when I told, when I explained what the finale was and, oh my goodness, I love it so much. And then two final quick Janet questions, which was the best Janet to play? I mean, good Janet, but, uh, but all Janets, all Janets, all Janets, all Janets, but good Janet just felt like, you know, felt like home. And when you, when Janet, um, you know, sort of produced things when they were like, Janet, bring me whatever ridiculous thing that I'm asking for. Did you actually do something in your head as an internal switch? Was there a thing like, you know, when be what she used to wrinkle her nose, (laughs) like that you did mentally? Yes. It's the simple thing is like, I, Darcy, as Janet, thought of the thing, if that makes sense. I tried. Mm-hmm. I, I tried. You visualized. <laughs> yes. It's so, like, goofy to talk about the way I sort of acted Janet because it doesn't exactly make sense because I I tried really hard not to think of my brain as, like, a computer because I, I Darcy, couldn't, like, connect with that. But I occasionally <laughs> truly, like... <laughs> Oh gosh. I mean, I don't even know how to explain it. Sometimes I like put, um, pretended I was like seeing in a grid, (laughs) like, like, you know, there are certain things that, that I sort of had to sort of, uh, 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 robot up a little bit. Um, but to, not a robot, robot, but to explain (laughs) it is so goofy and makes no sense. But yeah, I would just, you know, I would just sort of visualize the thing, whatever it was, um, you know, ostrich steak on a pencil that says, Lordy, Lordy, look who's 40 or whatever, whatever it is. Did you have a particular line or moment that was like a favorite moment of ridiculousness? There was something that the writers would, would make Janet do, which is like say something, uh, that wasn't necessarily like a positive thing, but with in, in Janet's positivity, you know, like the, okay, I guess the one I'm thinking of is when we are going to the bad place for the first time, season two, season three, I'm not sure where, um, where I said that I'm luggage, you know, where I'm, where Ted is, or Michael's sort of explaining that I count as luggage or something like that. And I, (laughs) and Janet just says, I'm luggage. And, and there's just something like, so off about that, that I, that I, that I love that, that sort of encapsulates a lot of what I love about Janet is just this like positivity and like making it all work. Right. In the face of certain doom in yes. the bad place. Yes. I have to ask at uh, a league of their own. Um, are you actually, that's not a one-to-one from the movie, right? You are not playing some, a character who was in the movie. Exactly. It is a new group it's a of new, women. Yeah. New group of women, same time period, same sort of, uh, you know, it's the war women playing baseball. Um, there, there are similarities, but it's a new story. And that must have been a great call to get. Oh, yeah. It was just like, you know, it's when you're when you get to do something like The Good Place and I like I have nothing but positive feelings about that show. And and there's a part of me that wished it went on for 
20 more years. You know what I mean? That one of the fears is like, kind of like, what do you do next? What, what's the next thing? I, you know, it's, it, there's, it's, it's a weird one because it's, it's the first time also in my career where I could maybe wait for something that I really wanted instead of, you know, like I, I, you know, the good place really was a big one for me as far before the good place. I was like scraping by and taking whatever job came my way. And it was like, you know, about paying the bills. And it was about, it was, it wasn't about like, what do I want to do as an actor? So the good place sort of gave me that gift of, of getting to sort of wait for something that I would be so excited to do. And this came along and, and like, was so clearly that, you know? Absolutely. Well, I am really looking forward to it. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thanks, Sarah. To talk about the good place. Good luck going out into the world or more or specifically staying, staying home. <laughs> you know, you Wash too. Wash those hands. Wash those that hands. Mask. Exactly. And be a good girl. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sarah. So as you can tell, it was an emotional experience for everybody who worked on The Good Place, emotional and philosophical. And I talked to Manny Jacinto about those things as well. And one funny thing that just for, you know, everybody listening out there, Manny was at home, obviously, when we did these interviews and he had all this stuff in his room that he was sitting in that were like props from the show and things that he got from the show. So there were points where he was like holding things up to the Zoom camera. So (laughs) Noah and I can see them. So we try to describe them. So you just let us know how well we did with that when we were talking to Manny about The Good Place. I am so pleased to welcome to the awards podcast, the one, the only, Jason Mendoza. That's right. Manny (laughs) Jacinto is here today to talk to us about my favorite show of the last four years, The Good Place. Um, oh, my goodness. Manny, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Sarah. First of all, how are you doing? Um, a little stir crazy, not going to lie. I mean, I think everybody is um, trying to control what I can, whether it be um, exercising or maybe trying to cook and whatnot. What are you cooking? I love to hear what people are cooking. Um, When I say I'm cooking, it's more like my fiance cooks and then (laughs) I wash the dishes pretty much. So (laughs) let's, let's keep it real. Last night we had, it was taco Tuesday. So we had tacos. We're we're mainly like plant-based or pescatarian. So we do a lot of seafood. We do salmon. Um, we did like a seafood pasta the other day. Um, yeah, just like anything and everything. So the other thing we're asking folks is what are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you finding yourself drifting towards for entertainment? Um, I mean, especially right now, I need something like comedic, lighthearted. So during dinner, we'll every every once in a while, we'll binge the office. A good office episode will pick you up. Um, right now, we're we're getting into Dave. On FX. Have you seen it? It's, yeah. It's, it has like this entourage vibe that I'm kind of digging and it's it's pretty hilarious. It's pretty good. Uh, it's what else different is too. It has a real different point of view. I'm also trying to, you know, do a bit of homework and like study some films like uh, Last Black Man from San Francisco, oh, um, yeah. which is a great, beautiful film. All right. Well, we are going to add that to people's cues for their things to watch and listen to. And now we need to get into 
all the many phases of The Good Place. And I have to ask, now that you have a little bit of distance from it, how are you feeling about the, sh- the show ending, like it being over? It feels, I mean, it feels unreal. It feels like we should be going back to work. We keep in close touch. So we, you know, we we uh we text back and forth with the group like we'll have i think we're we're coming up on a zoom dinner together to try and nice. catch up so that's great yeah but it definitely sucks it sucks <laughs> that we're not coming back <laughs> i agree but i think that you all when you were on Seth Meyers for the last show and in things that Mike Sure has said the creator of the show that it did feel like maybe it was time. Like, do you feel like you got closure the way Jason got closure? Yes, definitely. I mean, um, I mean, it's been said before, not a lot of shows get the chance to, you know, go out on their own terms. And um, the fact that we got to do that, the fact that we all really got to say goodbye to our characters and were notified like a year previous uh, towards the actual ending was, you know, was great. Like, we got to really taking the sets and taking each other during that last season. So that was, that was definitely a blessing. It was interesting. So in the two part finale, you all sort of went through this beautiful archway, this gorgeous redwood forest to cross over to the other side. And when you found out that Jason was going to go first, how'd you really feel? (laughs) I was like, really guys like me first. Come on. Like, I mean, when I first read it, I was like, Oh wow. That's, that's, I guess this is it. And then Mike is, always has something up his sleeve. All our writers always have something up their sleeve. So, and no spoiler alert, but, you know, if you continue on with the finale, you see that Jason has a little, a little something else to go out on his own terms before he actually says goodbye. Well, and it's so beautiful too that moment that you're allowed to have, and it reconciles where who we thought you were when you first came on the show, yes. when you were still Gianu. Mm-hmm. And I love that for the character that this thing that ends up happening for you goes back to the beginning. Did you love that sort of duality of that, or the circular nature of that? Definitely, I think it happened with pretty much all of our characters. With Jason, he became this serene monk in a sense where he was he was able to just be with himself and not be impulsive and he was able to just exercise patience. And it's pretty incredible what Mike did. He definitely gave all of our characters um, an arc and kind of like a, a, a large change um, to what we were in the beginning. Well, and I wanted to ask about that because your character probably in sort of superficial terms, had the furthest to go, had the mm. biggest evolution. And I'm curious about how you balance, because he was still so goofy at that. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but then he has, you have this great line about knowing when you were supposed to go that the air inside your lungs felt like the air outside and you were at peace and you knew it was time to go. And it was not the first time that Jason sort of had these accidentally wise words definitely yeah you how did you sort of balance keeping that doofus part of his sensibility but with him growing because he really did grow over the course of the show it's it's definitely uh something i worked on all the writers worked on um i think just from the very beginning um whether it be the ridiculous things that jason says or whether it be the most profound things that Jason would inadvertently teach Michael. Um, it was all based on truth. Um, and as long as I tapped into the truth of what 
he was saying, um, it would come out sincere. It would come out uh, genuine. The air inside my body was the same as outside my body. It was just, it's, it's a very simple metaphor, but it was very effective. And Jason, I mean, Mike was so good about giving Jason sort of both of those things. But as I was watching back, do you have these lines, these amazing lines that you got <laughs> to say that nobody else got to say that made like no sense, but made all the sense? Like, do you yes. have a favorite one of those? Because the Molotov cocktail to me is still like chef's kiss, like uh, first class. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, thank you. It's, um, I think... The greatest moments for me is when Jason talks about Donkey Doug, <laughs> like in the first season, maybe. Yeah, in the first season. And he talks about like, like, it's just like a buddy of his or just like a member of his dance crew. And just it just it just gives me this like this small sense of joy that, you know, we don't actually know what we're uh, going to be going right, to be revealed. <laughs> yes, it's like it's it's such a great little thing like going back to those episodes that oh my gosh he's actually talking about his dad because there was one anecdote where i i talk about blackmailing donkey doug's girlfriend sheila with boogie boards or something and it's like the most ridiculous story but it was actually technically it would have been like my you were right your stepmother my stepmom yeah yeah, absolutely. It was just the Donkey Dog reveal was so great. And listening to, um, of course, Mark Evan Jackson's great Good Place Companion podcast. Yes. Him talking about Donkey Dog actually being the last scene that they shot for the entire show. Like, yeah. Donkey Dog's like farewell to Jason, which was so heartfelt. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, Mitch nailed that character it was yeah he's such he's so good in it this one didn't make it into into the cut but there was this one point where jason is goes off on like a tangent and starts talking about everybody else and then he starts calling everybody the wrong name so he he, ta- he starts talking about tahani but he calls her talhani like and <laughs> And then he goes over to Cheedy and he calls him Cheeky. Like, Cheeky, you're my bro, man. But it's like, but that was almost too, I don't know if it was insensitive or too dumb because, you know, they're already friends at that point by the second season. But Right, for him to not know what their names are. Yeah. But but I want to talk about, um, you were somebody who was able actually on this show to have relationships with multiple people. You were able to have a relationship mm. with Jamila's character and with Darcy's character. Yeah. And um, so Jason, you know, got some action in the <laughs> afterlife. <laughs> and, and I'm curious about playing those relationships, how much, how different they were and how fun it was to play off those very different women. Darcy is an incredible improv um, performer. Uh, so being able to act off her is, you know, she keeps you on your toes. You know, you can't help but be prepared and like hold your laughs whenever she's on. And same with Jamila. She's like, even though it's it was her first acting gig, like she is so grounded in this character and her instincts are incredible that it was so easy for us to play. And so this is my opportunity to just give you 20 seconds to talk about how amazing Ted Danson is. Okay. Um, let's see, Ted, Ted is a beaut in himself. Like if I was given a chance to date him on the show, I'd definitely go for it. Um, but man, I mean, that guy, he definitely, 
has taught me so much, not just on set, you know, how to conduct myself as an actual human being. He's definitely affected me both in and out. And I, I can't, I can't say enough good things about that man. And what I think is interesting is that I think when the show first came on, people sort of naturally perceived Kristen and Ted to be the leads of the show. But over the course of the years of the seasons, as they went on, you all made clear on the show itself, but also in interviews, how it really was an ensemble and how Kristen and Ted made space for that and that they wanted it to be that and they didn't pull rank or however you want to put that. And how important do you think that was in terms of sort of the way that the show gelled? Because it could have been just as funny if they had been, had a different disposition behind the scenes, but it might've, do you think it had like an ineffable effect on the actual products of them being so magnanimous? I mean, you know, you have the appeal of TV legend Ted Danson and you have Supermom Kristen Bell to kind of bring the audiences in, but And I'm not trying to boast the babies of the show, but I feel like we were kind of that secret weapon for for Mike and and the the show um, to kind of come out and 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 give the audience something else other than other than Ted and Kristen, because it is. Yeah, like you said, it is an ensemble cast. And a lot of Mike's shows are very much like that. If you look at Parks and Rec, if you look at Brooklyn, if you look at The Office, um, they're all rooted in a a family-like workplace or a family-like environment. And that's what makes Mike's shows so special. And then it gives um, greater appeal to different um, comedic tastes. So I feel like a lot of the, a lot of my fans are like the eight-year-old kids that come up and, <laughs> and yell, oh, dip. And then you have maybe the intellectuals that come up to Will and shake his hand. And um, so it just, it allows for people to come together. Um, and that's what the, one of the greatest things that this show has really been able to do is bring all types of characters together in front of this, in front of the TV screen and, and spend time together. I feel like grown men have probably come up to you and said, oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've gotten me yeah, maybe a dip, maybe a couple of Bortles, you know. Well, that's what I was going to ask. How often do people just see you and go, Bortles? <laughs> Unfortunately, not not as many not as many times as I thought I, I as I feared, but it's it's happened right. a couple of times. Yeah. Now, wait, have you ever met Blake Bortles? I've like, has there been a discussion? I have not. There has been some discussions. Um, I think there was one point where he was actually going to make a cameo appearance. Um, wow! But he, I think, was you know, I think focused on doing his thing, um, uh, so we couldn't get him during that time. But um, no, I think the closest I got to him was when Joe Mandy, one of the writers, and I went over to, to Jacksonville and saw one of the playoff games in Jacksonville. Wow. He was, I don't know, maybe like 20, 20 feet away from me. And I would have came up to, to him then, but he was, you know, he was in the zone. He had to concentrate. I love that you didn't yell Bortles at him. Good, <laughs> yeah. good impulse control. Jason <laughs> wouldn't have been able to control himself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it would have been all over. Now, tell me, how much of the philosophy on the show did you sort of get into? Did you actually understand? Did you find yourself wanting to get into it, or you were like, "I'm just going to read the lines, man"? <laughs> I mean, I can't say that I dove deep into it, but moral dilemmas like sacrificing yourself for another group of people, or analyzing it like a nihilistic point of view like why like what does it mean to exist i've definitely been through those stages and 
for um, <laughs> the end, they actually gave us the book. Uh, they actually oh my God. <laughs> gave us the book of what we owe each other. So by Tim Scanlon. So maybe at one Does point. Does it say Eleanor Fine Cheaty in the first page? No, I <laughs> don't. But for our rap gift, um, this is great that we're actually doing this in our home because I could show you all the goodies. I know. It's like show and tell. This is so fun. He's actually showing me the book. <laughs> yeah. So we got this from Darcy Carden, who gave this for our season one rap gift. Oh, so. that's so fantastic. So it's the first page ripped out from the book with the writing Eleanor Fianchini on it. We had to do it a bunch of times. So there's Darcy was able to save six of them and then frame it and give it give it to the bunch of the cast. And I also have this guy. I did not meet Blake Bortles, but I do have this from him. This is from when we went to the Jacksonville Jaguars game. So for those of you who can't see it, it's um, a Jaguars football signed by Blake Bortles himself put into a trophy case. Wow. All right. So one day, this is all the stuff that you're auctioning off. Like when you're 80, you want to make some money. Yeah, when I'm down and out, yeah. (laughs) The Good Place fans will pay good money for that stuff. But going back to what you said earlier, I am interested in when, do you feel like the show did sort of make you more mindful of your actions in the world as a human being? Um, Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not just also not just the show, but it's also the company that we kept. Like, you can't help but try and be a better person when you're surrounded by people like Ted and Kristen and Mike. Kristen herself, like she does a lot of charitable work. For the most part, they're all amazing human beings and you can't help but have that influence uh, who you are on the day to day. Who did break the most? Who was the person who cracked up the most? <laughs> it depends. I definitely had a target on, on Will's back whenever <laughs> I, I was on. So whenever I had the joke or the line, I would make it a point to try and crack Will. Jamila was pretty easy to crack as well. And she kind of knew when, whenever I was coming up with something like, cause I would kind of be in the corner or like in my head a little bit and I would be kind of talking to myself. And then once Jamila saw that, she'd be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Just don't you dare do that. Like, cause she knew something what was coming. Yes, I feel exactly. like Kristen was probably, the, was Kristen the strongest? Oh yeah. She's the most professional. She's the hardest to break. Um, but it definitely happened every once in a while. Absolutely. And then finally, how great was it get to dance um, in the finale with Dance Dance Resolution? Oh, man, <laughs> it was stressful. I'm not going to lie. Like, so in the I think it was in the third or second season, I was able to do the dance, you know, the dance competition thing for the first time where we first meet Donkey Doug and everything. And we had some time to do that. We had like two or three days. Um, with this last dance competition thing, the farewell, um, in the good place, I had like a day to learn Oh wow! the whole thing. And like that day is when I danced with all these dancers and it just so happened that like almost everybody, we had to wait until it was night out. So all the scenes from the day people stuck around, like all kinds of guest stars and all these people just stuck around because Manny was going to do his dance performance um, that night. So everybody just stuck around. So the pressure was on. It was a lot of pressure. And it was like, I was literally, you know, performing for, you know, all of my friends and coworkers. So it was a lot of pressure, but, you know, we got through it. And um, it was at the end of the day, it was super rewarding and fun. 
Well, I think some people don't know you are a dancer that like, yeah, and like this is your background. And yeah. Ted, I think on one of the podcasts was talking about how exciting for like a Vancouver boy to yeah. like be in this scene and do this thing. And like, totally. he was so impressed with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's not every day you get to perform, you know, some sexy dance moves in front of Ted, in front of Ted Danson. <laughs> Um, that's true like did how would you even conceive that one day you were going to say that sentence <laughs> i know n- no idea that i would yeah that those words would be put together well i know you probably can't tell me much but i know one of the next things that you have happening is the top gun <laughs> yes. movie is yeah. there what can you tell me about your character in that can you tell me anything absolutely nothing <laughs> <laughs> oh my god can you even say if you're a pilot or what are you? Technically, it did come out, yeah, that that I am a pilot. So, yeah, on deadline. So, yeah, I, I can say that. Can you have, do you have a fun name, Maverick Goose? Like, what's, like what's your name? Um, I don't know if I can say. Oh, um, darn. Yeah, but I do have, I do have my own call sign. But that's so exciting. Like, when you got that call, you must have been thrilled. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely jumping up and down. Um, that's for sure. And I know everything is in flux right now. So is there anything else that you are working on that you want to talk about? I, I just finished up this uh, Netflix thriller. Oh, that's exciting. What's it called? It's called Brand New Cherry Flavor. I basically play uh, like the moral compass of the main character played by uh, Rosa Salazar. He's also influenced a little bit by certain um, substances. Oh, interesting. So very different character for you. That must be exciting. Yeah. That, that people were looking to you to do something that sounds dramatic and very for different. Sure. Well, I'm excited to hear you have so much employment. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, man, it's it's tough out there during regular times. So that's really terrific. Yeah, absolutely. You'll be fine. Well, Manny, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. As is probably clear. I was a big fan of the show. Oh, thanks, Sarah. And Thank so you. I appreciate what you guys brought into the world for us. I really do think the good place did a good thing Thanks. sort of by existing. So we will let you go about your life and yeah. go do those dishes for your fiance yes, while she makes do. you nice dinner and you take good care. <laughs> you too, Sarah. Oh my <laughs> Bye-bye. goodness. Bye-bye. So as always, it was a treat to talk with our friends from The Good Place and, you know, what might happen when we die. And I, for one, really hope that The Good Place's depiction of it, that we all become beautiful, sparkly particles that waft back down to Earth. I feel like that feels really nice. I'm down with that. I enjoy that. Uh, and I think it could it could fit right into many different religions, that idea of uh the afterlife. Exactly. And fit right into it for those who have no religion at all. Exactly. Just Good energy. Good energy, man. It's all about the journey and the friends we made (laughs) along the way. Uh, Next week, we are talking to Kate Blanchett from Mrs. America and discussing the best limited series and movies from this year. And you will not want to miss it. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of The Awardist. And if you like what you hear, give us a rating and subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to join the conversation, tweet at us. I'm at Kristen G. Baldwin, and you can find Sarah at Sarah A. Rodman. The Awardist isn't just a podcast. You can also find us across EW platforms on EW.com, in the magazine, and on social media, too. So if you want to binge more of The Awardist, you know where to find it. Until then, we'll be on the couch. 
The Awardist is produced by EW in partnership with Pod People. 